people become comfortable. They stop growing. They stop wanting anything. They, they become satisfied. People getting ready to go to jobs that they don't like. Jobs that are making them sick. You see, when you're not pursuing your goal, you are literally committing spiritual suicide. When you have some goal out here that you're stretching for and reaching for, that takes you out of your comfort zone, you'll find out some talents and abilities you have that you didn't know you have. When the messenger of misery visits you, what are you going to do? What will keep you in the game? There are things that you think you'll never need to know that you may only need to know one time in your life, but that could save your life because you had that knowledge. Unless you attempt to do something beyond that which you've already mastered, you will never grow. What is it that you looked at at some point in time and you decided that you couldn't do it? That you talked yourself out of it? 
you're waiting on your next door neighbor to make it happen for you, it may not happen. If you're waiting on your mother or your father, they may be so ancient in their thinking that they don't understand this opportunity that you have. And if you're waiting on them, it may never get done. You don't beg average people to be phenomenal. You don't beg good people to be phenomenal. You just are phenomenal and you will attract phenomenal. What reason can you remember that you can call on, that you can reach on, that can make you get back up? Find that reason. If you're not where you are, if you're not where you want to be, if you don't have what you want, want to have, if you're not where you think you should be at this particular place, it has nothing to do with the system, but it has everything to do with the fact that you're not making the sacrifice. I want you to make that dream become a reality because if you don't, you will be working for somebody else to make their dreams become a reality. Everybody is against you or don't believe in you no more. And let me tell you something, that's a lonely feeling. It's a lonely feeling, particularly people that you're doing it for. Most people take their greatness, take their ideas to the graveyard with them. Listen to me, if it was easy, everybody would do it. There are people right now who are working who don't want to work. There are people who hate their jobs and they keep getting up to do it. The wealthiest place on the planet is the graveyard. Because in the graveyard we will find inventions that we never ever were exposed to. Ideas, dreams that never became reality. Hopes and aspirations that were never acted upon. The question is what are you going to do with your time? What drives you? Greatness is a lot of small things done well. Day after day. Workout after workout, obedience after obedience, day after day. When things don't work out for you, when things happen that you could not anticipate, what are the reasons that you can think of that can keep you strong? You will never ever be successful until you turn your pain into greatness, until you allow your pain to push you from where you are to push you to where you need to be. Stop running from your pain and embrace your pain. Your pain is going to be a part of your pride, a part of your product. I, I challenge you to push yourself. See, it's easy to be on the bottom. It doesn't take any effort to be a loser. It doesn't take any motivation, any drive in order to stay down there on a low level. But it calls on everything in you. You have to harness your will to say, I'm going to challenge myself. I mean that what you did last week don't count. Today, today is the only important day. There are 86,400 seconds in a day, and how you use those are critical. You got 86,400 today, and what you do today is going to see me who you are. Nobody's going to talk about what you did last week. that the biggest enemy you have to deal with is yourself. There's an old African proverb that says, if there's no enemy within, the enemy outside can do us no harm. You have this opportunity of a lifetime. It means absolutely nothing if you don't take advantage of it in the lifetime of this opportunity. I got a thing that when life knocks you down, try and land on your back because if you can look up, you can get up. If you want a thing bad enough to go out and fight for it, to work day and night for, to give up your time, your peace, and your sleep for. If all that you dream and scheme is about it, and life seems useless and worthless without it, 
See, it's time now. If you want to make this your decade, you've got to start saying yes to your life. You've got to start saying yes to your dreams. Yes to your unfolding future. Yes to your potential. As opposed to saying no. When you die, die on east. Leave no dream left behind, God. Leave no opportunity left behind. When you leave this earth, accomplish every single thing you can accomplish. Listen to me. You're going to be here one day, but you'll never get here if you give up, if you give in, if you quit. And finally, God, you got to want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe. Head on over to thisneedstobesaid.com so you can check out all of the free classes that we offer. Tonight's class is for those that are interested in writing a book. We have an expert that's going to come and show you how to get your book published, get it out there, and get it completed, first of all, before you get it published. But he's going to come and show you how to do everything because that's his passion, and his passion is to help 10,000 authors get published. So be one of those authors that he's looking to help.
never comes again Won't you let me be your best friend Give me a chance to find out who you are That's all it's gonna take for love to for joining us today for This Needs to Be Said. We're going to get started with Coach Tony Ustry in just a moment. Hey, Coach, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Awesome. Okay, we got you in here. And our homework for last week was to do the homework from two weeks ago, which was to make a list of those things, those areas in our lives that we wanted to improve and to present them with some solutions. And it seems like uh, this opportunity keeps presenting itself every time someone comes to me and they seem to have what they label as a problem, Coach, and we now label as an opportunity that I'm not seeking to solve their problem, but I'm saying, okay, here are some options. What do you get from that? And it's been helpful in me um, supporting other people as well as not panicking over my own things. So without going into what my list directly was, I'm telling you what I got from it, and the result was I don't panic, and I feel like I can give a person some objective Guidance. I'll put it that way as opposed to them saying, if I were you, I would do blah, blah, blah. I said, well, have you considered this? And have you considered this? And what about this idea? And what do you get? What can you come up with? And helping them to build um, their solutions. I like that. And that's that's exactly the right take on it uh, because you want them to weave. You want them, you want whatever, whatever information they get, they need to weave it into their own personality, into their and then into their own desires, so it's so they own it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have to, we need to, we have to own our decisions, and you know, you, you have to be committed. And and the thing is, is that you know, it's one. If I'm telling you what to do, more than likely, you're not going to listen to me. You know, if I if, if if I'm suggesting things that you can do. And, and and trying to, to to help you and lead you and guide you, it might be that I might have the answer, but you need to be able to have the answer. You know, it's like that that old uh-huh. saying. You know, I uh, if I if I give you a fish, I save you for the day. But if I give you learn, uh, if I give you a fish and told and teach you how to fish, you know, you can you can uh, eat forever. And so the thing is, is that that's something that. We have to 
to, to do is we have to, when we're trying to help others, we have to, to learn how to to not uh, impose our will on them, but uh-huh. to to uh, enable them to come up with their own decisions and their own answers so that they become the author of their own destiny, <laughs> you know, and, and, it, right. and, and, and it's a, it's a ba- it's a, it's a balance that you have to strike, but first you, but you can't strike it until you get you together. You know what I mean? It's like you have mm-hmm, to have a mindset mm-hmm. before you can go out and help somebody else. You have to have the mindset that, that you first, you can be able to help yourself because if I can't help me, how am I going to help somebody else? You know, um, and, and most of the time, most of the time, you'll find the people that are trying to give the most advice and be forceful about it. Their lives are, are messed up. <laughs> you know what uh, I mean? It's like their lives are in shambles, um, but they're trying to force you to do something, even though they haven't done it. You, you know what I mean? It's like you wow. look back and yeah. you know, I, I've had friends that have told me, you know, you need to do this, and I go, oh, okay. So I I I go I go hard and I and, and I go do it and whether I get it done or not it might have failed might not have failed but if it, it succeeded then I look back at them and find out that they never did it so they told me to do something that they've never tried or done and I'm thinking okay well I can look at that two ways I can look at that as they had a knowledge that I needed in my life. That's the positive way to look at it, or they're just a know-it-all and busybody and and don't have their life together, but they wanted to impose on my life because their life's not together. Made them feel good. Uh. Either way, if I was successful with it, it helped me. It benefited me. But in reality, it didn't. It didn't help the person that gave me the advice. You know, uh-huh. uh, it might it might have stroked their ego for a minute, so they they thought they were smarter than me. But at at the end of the day, you know, if their life is in shambles and my life's moving forward, pretty soon we're not going to even be able to communicate because we're not going to be on that same level anymore. And so, you know, again, get yourself right first, uh-huh. and then you can be able to help people. And and, and and help them get to where you're going or get to where you you are. You know what I mean? It's like uh-huh. we have to deal with us first. I mean, everything that I tell you about, I've I've done. I've experienced it. I've done it because you know I needed to do it. I needed to I needed to learn it. I needed to do it. I needed to to to, to flourish. So I'm what I'm sharing is is my life experiences, not just something out of a book. You know, I've, I've right. done the thing, and so, I, and okay, so they work for me. Doesn't mean that every time I say that, you know, give a suggestion, it's gonna work for you, but it'll get you thinking, and that's the whole. That's that's the whole thing. Yeah. To get your your brain moving and to get you moving in that right direction, that's where the help actually comes in. You know, it might not be what I said. It might not be, you know. Uh, the greatest of ideas, but if I can get your brain moving in that direction that it's supposed to, and you can actually come up with a solution, then I did my part. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that, 
once the person practices this, because I'm listening to you and I'm imagining situations, not imagining, but I'm playing back in my head, um, conversations that either I have had with someone giving them advice or someone trying to give me advice and where were we in those situations? So it's like it's going rapidly through my head like a, a movie and this person may be giving you advice and they've never been in business or this person's giving you advice and they never had children and you're asking yourself to filter through what you can use and what you can't use from this person. But then I heard you say on the other side is if I can use what this person has given me, I'm going to surpass them because they hadn't had to apply it in their lives. So they may be giving me some good advice if I apply it, but then we're going to be uneven soon. And then I'm, we're still going to have a bit of a struggle. So, um, that's, that's one, first of all, a, a big wake-up call because it's not that you don't necessarily need to take that advice, but if you do, wh- where does that leave you all again? And I'm just like, oh, because <laughs> I've wondered a lot of times with um, friendships, why does it seem like I'm changing friends, you know, often, and it's somebody's growing and somebody's not is what I'm hearing from you. Is that right? Right. I gi- I'll give you a prime example, Okay. Going to the gym, and we're going to fitness now. Going to the gym, a bad instructor, a bad a bad trainer is the guy that hands out a piece of paper and has everybody do the same thing. Bad instructor, because we're all individuals and we all need different stuff, and we you know we think differently, we act differently, our body reacts differently. So if he's telling everybody to do the same thing, so it's going to work for some people, but some people it's not going to work for because but he hasn't taken the time to analyze and find out what is good for that person and what's not good for that person, okay? Going to the gym to find somebody that takes the time to find out who you are, your personality, what you're about, what your likes are, what your dislikes are, what what motivates you, what doesn't motivate you, you know, what troubles you've had in the past, and if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to gain muscle, whatever, and find out about you and then customize something to you, you're going to be successful, Right? That's somebody mm-hmm. that's, that's – but, but that person took the time to find out about you and to know you and just didn't hand you something to say, hey, here, okay? A lot of times people people read stuff or whatever, and they they, say that they, they, they think that now they have some smarts and they want to share it because that's how they stroke their own ego and show that they're smart. They hand out that same blanket formula to everybody. You know, so you know yeah. you got a problem here. Well, here's how you should handle this, and you got a problem here. Well, here's how here's how you should handle it. That doesn't mean that it's right, but it's gonna it might it's gonna eventually apply to somebody. You're gonna be right to, with somebody. The thing is, is that that's why if you're the recipient, you got to really examine what's being said and does it apply to you and can it help you. But you still have to have that mindset of wanting to to help yourself and wanting to learn and wanting to be open, and that's the key. Is the openness that you have is the key to whether you're going to develop and whether you're going to, to succeed. Is because the more open you are, the more you're able to accept things in and out of the box that could could work for you. The the more you're willing to to take the risk of the chances that will make the substantial changes in your life that will move you forward and make you successful in a positive way. But the more closed you are, the more you, the rigid you are, the more 
uh, you know, this is the this is my way or the highway you are, the less successful you're going to be. You, you know, that's just the way it is. Case in point. Right. When they first invented the cell phone, okay, they were monsters. They were these big bricks, you know, that some of them had these those battery packs that you had to carry around. And, you know, some companies, you know, the first companies that invented the cell phone flourished. And then as you go down the the the, the gate, those companies thought, well, you know what, we got a good thing here. We don't need to change it. There are other companies that were taking that technology and they were they were taking it and changing it and twisting it and trying to make it better and trying to, you know, but the other company over here was saying, well, I don't have to do that. I own this company. I own this technology. It's working now. Why should I change it? Guess what? Those people are no longer in business because they weren't willing to change with the times. They weren't willing to change when they, it was necessary uh, to grow. So we're the same way, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, when it's time to grow, we should be open to, for growth. When it's time for us to stay firm, we should be open to stay firm. When it's time for us to take a step back and examine what we're doing and how we're doing it, we should be willing to do that. You know, we should be open for whatever it takes at that moment. But until you get into this mindset of, you know, I got, I'm going to think, I, I'm going to use my my brain and the information around me. To, to, to get this right, and I'm going to get it right, until you get yourself there, then, again, we're energy people attracting whatever energy we put out. You know, so if I'm closed-minded, guess what I'm going to attract? Closed-mindedness. And, 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 and where am I going to go? Nowhere. But if I'm open, I'm going to attract all kinds of things. And the thing is, is that that doesn't mean that everything I attract is right. That's what I have to figure out, part that I have to figure out. But if I'm on that wavelength that I'm supposed to be on, I'll be able to filter that out because, again, intuition, things that we have that are God-given, you know, we can use then because they're sharp. And we'll know when something, it's kind of like when somebody walks in the room and the, and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you go, ugh, uh-huh. okay, or somebody walks in the room and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you go, dang. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> There's a difference. You know, you look at that person and go, wow. And then you look at the other person and you go, ugh. That's you getting that feel of who that, what that energy that that person is putting out. But you got you have to be able to be open to accept it and ready for it. And that's what this is all about. This is all about us getting ourselves ready for the opportunities and the, to, to feel those passions in our life and to move forward and to be able to clean up our lives and to get things where we want them to be so we're living a complete and full and happy life, you know, uh-huh. or let's say joyful life, you know, because happiness is relative, you know. But, right, right. But you know what I'm saying? So the thing is is that this, this, these exercises are all about getting us, our minds supple enough to be sponges to take in what we need to take in and and in a position to understand that we're moving forward and every and every, every all the information we get we'll store and maybe we might not use it now but there could be a time where that person told us what they told us and we need it later 
You know what I mean? Even though it was bad advice for right then, doesn't mean that it won't be good advice in the future. Uh-huh. You, you follow me? We're, I do. We're I gonna, do. you know, we're gonna we're gonna be able to take in knowledge. We take in the knowledge. We store the knowledge. We store everything that we see, hear, smell. We store it all. You know, and just because we don't use it today doesn't mean we're not going to use it tomorrow, or the next day, or a year from now. So we really need to be open vessels when it comes to to learning and when it comes to dealing with ourselves, we gotta be open. We gotta be open and willing to, to bend but not break. You know, and, and that's what this is all about. That's what these 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 lessons are for. That's what these exercises are for. To get us in a position to bend and learn and grow but not break. It definitely has the benefit of not having you panic. Even though something may be of urgency, it doesn't cause you to lose your cool, lose your focus, and not be able to think clearly. Because when you panic, you're not necessarily doing things that are going to be in the long-term best interest. It may fix the situation real quick right now, but it may hurt something later on, and it helps you to reason better, being able to just put things in order, you know, to to, to ask questions to say, okay, this has more than one way to be resolved. This has more than one way to be completed. We can achieve success. We can achieve peace. We can achieve a positive result in multiple ways by getting multiple things, multiple approaches, um, giving multiple approaches to the situation. And that's what I've learned, and that's what I'm enjoying about this process. Cool. Hold on. I just said give us, by the way. Excellent. Uh, tomorrow, my girls. I'll see you. Go soak. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Okay. Um, it, 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 it boils down to, to, to this. You know, fear, you know, when, we, when we're startled or when something happens in our lives that, that startles us or, you know, annoys or whatever, you know, that's an alert. That's just an alert to let us know that something is out of kilter. That's all it is, you know, and uh-huh. it's something that we're not used to. Like, for example, if I'm living in in a, in a place where, you know, every night I hear gunfire, then guess what? At, at some point I'm going to get used to gunfire. But if I'm living in a place where you never hear gunfire and all of a sudden gunfire goes off, I'm going to be startled because that's unusual, right? Yeah. <laughs> doesn't yeah. mean that I need to go into a panic about it, but it's alerting me that something's not right or something's out of, out of, out of sort or something, it's something I should be, I should have my antennas up. doesn't mean that I need to react in a bad or, or, or overreact or doesn't mean like you said I need to panic. It just means I need to be alerted to something. So when, when a situation comes up in our life and it has to be dealt with, that's a, that's telling us it has to be dealt with. Doesn't mean that we need to get into a panic about the situation. It just means that, okay, it's something that has a priority right now over something else. Doesn't mean that I have to get all upset about it. Doesn't mean I have to give a lot of energy to it. 
It just means that I have to do there's something that has to be dealt with. But I still need to deal with it with 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 the brains that I have. I still need to deal with it with the uh with the clarity that I, I deal with anything else. It doesn't change the way I operate, it just changes my focus at the time. And that's what we need to learn is that my focus is now switched for a set over here because I have to deal with this situation. It doesn't mean that I need to deal with it any differently than I would if I'm over here and, and, and dealing with something. It just means I need to deal with it. And you'll find people handle those types of situations differently because they're, they throw themselves into, like you said, panics and stupors or whatever because it's in their face. But life's always in your face. There's always something that we yeah. got to deal with. There's always something that we always. have to we have to achieve. So that's just nothing. That's just one other thing. That's how we have to look at it. You know, right? It could be. It could be. You know, I don't know. How am I going to put food on the table tonight? Okay, well I'll deal with that. Then guess what I have to deal with tomorrow? Mm-hmm. How am I going to put food on the table? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or it could be. Or it could be that you know. How am I going to uh, accelerate my business? Or how am I going to grow my business? You know, um, and that could be staring me in the face. Or it could be that a new technology is coming in and, and kind of moving me out the way and making me kind of obsolete. What do I need to do to change my, my business pattern to move forward so that I can still do the things I need to do and be successful? Right. And again, Again, all those have to be dealt with. Anyway, and it doesn't matter. I can deal with it on the negative side or I can deal with it on the positive side, my choice. I can have uh-huh. all my faculties about me when I deal with something, or I can lose my mind and have little faculties to deal with something. My choice. And all all, all this is about what we're doing now is to get you to deal with it, full, you know, with full faculties, on your toes, looking at the whole picture, ready to move forward, in a positive manner, and get it done. That's what this is all right. about. All right. Well, we got that. We're moving forward. We got that under our belt. We know what the results will be once we are making that list of uh, solutions for those opportunities that present ourselves, present themselves in our lives. So what's our take action for next week? Now, the, the thing is, if you've been doing the homework, you've had some successes. And you've had some failures. That's just the way it is. Now, if you're batting 100, mm-hmm. God bless you, but more than likely you're <laughs> not. Which, <laughs> okay, what you need to do is go back. The successes take care of themselves. You need to look at them and look at what you did and look at why they were successful. Your failures change that. And can I go back and correct it? Is it you know, but, but really examine where you got off kilter and see if there's a pattern. You know, if there's a pattern to my successes and a pattern to my failures, usually what you're going to find is that there's a pattern to both, and you have to find those those main points of emphasis in both and try to slide the, the emphasis from the successes to the failures. And sometimes yeah. it's so subtle that you really have to examine it. So that's that's the lesson now is looking at how what did I do that I failed and 
talk and what, what, look at my successes. How did I get those? You know, was it, mm. did I, did I, did I follow the, the uh, uh, same way I dealt with a situation that I, you know, did I, was I open, you know, just look at the whole thing, how you were successful and examine it and analyze it. And then look at how you were, how over here you didn't have success and see if there's that string that you can find, that common denominator in all those 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 uh, failures to see why and if you can move the string because there's going to be a common denominator in your successes. There's going to be a common denominator in your failures. You just don't know what it is yet, but you've got to look at it. Okay. And then write them the down. Common denominator. Mm-hmm. Write them down. And then see how you can move your successes into those failures and make them into successes. Okay. And sometimes it might be, you know what, I just need to leave it alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? It okay. Be that, you know what I mean? It's like it wasn't a good if – if it's a bad situation that you were trying to – it might be that your failures are that you get tied up in bad situations, okay? And because of that – they were destined to fail anyway. So you needed to analyze the situation before you got into it as opposed to jumping into it. That might be it. So the thing is, you might look at all that and go, I was not even supposed to be there in the first place. I need to like, not even go back there. <laughs> you know what? I need, so so mm-hmm. my, I might be needed to do more eval work ahead of time before I jump into something, before I get into that situation. You know, it could have been, uh-huh. and, it, it, and it works that way in any any kind of thing. It might be, you know, you're having conflict with uh, who somebody you thought was a friend, and now you're finding out that they're not a friend. But guess what? I shouldn't have been there anyway. So if they're uh-huh. trying to fix it, maybe it is fixed. Maybe the thing that maybe because we're not no longer apart, that and I'm that's a failure. But it really is a success because I wasn't supposed to be in that relationship anyway. Uh huh. But you gotta analyze. Now it's time to analyze and see what what it is we did right and what it is we did wrong. All right. Coach, let people know how to get in touch with you outside of this needs to be said. Our homework for next week is to analyze our successes and our failures. But coach, how do we get in touch with you outside of this needs to be said? Uh, my number is six one nine seven nine two zero six six two. My email address is a U-S-S-E-R-Y at gmail.com, A-S-R-Y at gmail.com, and my Skype is Anthony.Ustry. Best way to get a hold of me. All right. Coach, until next week, when I do my homework, uh, we'll talk to you then, all right? All right. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Royal Destiny Salon and Spa, where you are royalty. Specializing in children's hair, natural, weaved, and relaxed hair. Looking for a professional stylist who cares not only about how good hair looks, but also how healthy it feels? Then Royal Destiny Salon and Spa is the place for you. Royal Destiny Salon and Spa, located at 4936 Albemarle Road, Suite 14, Charlotte, North Carolina. Call today to schedule your appointment for a more beautiful you. 
724-734-8043. That number again is 724-734-8043. The Savings Mart is your one-stop shop for just about everything. We carry many quality brand name products for seriously discounted prices. One of such great brands is the Medca brand, which you may now know because of the high quality of their products and by how much variety they have to offer. Medca has an extensive range of products, from health to household to toys. If you have a use for it, they make it. Search the Savings Mart on Google. In order for your dream to happen, you have to make it happen. You ready? Come and get it. You want it? Come and get it right here. Come and get it for real. Just come and get it. Takes work, but you can get it. Takes time, but you can get it. Stop talking. Come and get it. Keep pushing, and you will get it. You hoping and for great things when you dream. Watching others make it.
Hi, guys. This is Melissa of Discussing It with Melissa. Thank you for joining us. Today we have Ms. Desiree Lee, and we want to welcome her to the show. Hi, Desiree. How are you? Hey, Melissa. I'm doing wonderful <laughs> yourself. I am awesome. It's such a beautiful day. Oh, my gosh. I'm enjoying mm-hmm. the weather. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. No problem. Thank you for um, participating. Thank you very much. So just to give the listeners a little bit of your background, Desiree is a best-selling author, inspirational speaker, philanthropist, and family dynamics coach who was once on her way to college in the pursuit of the American dream. And at 17 years old, she graduated high school and quickly found herself on the wrong side of the law. Her life took a major detour, and she was soon charged with 11 counts of armed robbery and five counts of aggravated assault, with the possibility of spending 135 years in prison, a 10-minute decision that severely affected her American dream. Her book, Inmate 114290, The Desiree Lee Story, is having a huge impact. Ms. Lee travels nationwide, delivering her powerful, inspirational presentation to individuals who feel that their current situation is hopeless along with her 10 Minutes to Think initiative and effort to prevent teen incarcerations nationwide. Ms. Lee is proud to introduce her recently released second book titled Pass the Mustard Seed. It's our faith that moves mountains, not our hands, a compilation of 30 contributing authors who are committed to pay it forward and plant the seeds of hope with inspiration from their real-life experiences on how they overcame Stacked limitations and route to fulfilling their own life's purpose. Wow, mm-hmm. you have, uh, the, and that was a very, um, uh, like scaled down <laughs> bio. Mm-hmm. So you you got a long bio. So you're doing big big things. So thank you so much for your contributions. No. Oh, no problem at all. I really appreciate the opportunity and allowing me to share my story, you know, in hopes of inspiring someone else. You know, yeah, and we, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. So I have my first question for you. How, you know, going to prison at such a young age affect your outlook on life? Oh, wow. Wow. Um, going to prison at that age, you know, uh, oftentimes people who haven't gotten in trouble before, we kind of have our mindset, you know, if I go to prison, this is how I want, I can't go to prison or I want to be able Mm -hmm. to handle it. Um, Right. And we kind of have these kind of ideas of if I find myself here, um, this is how I will respond. But what amazed me at that age, being in prison with other women who have life sentences and people who have nothing to lose in there Mm -hmm. Um, and just being there at that age, I didn't realize how strong I was until being being strong was the only thing I had left. Um, At that time, I got a chance to get to know myself because I was in this confined place I couldn't depend on mom anymore. I couldn't depend on dad anymore. I couldn't depend on my friends anymore. And God really got my attention because it was me. I wasn't distracted by the Internet, phone, 
what other people had to say. Um, it was a traumatic experience, but at the same yeah. time, it made me who I am today. So when I got out, I was comfortable with not having a lot of friends, comfortable mm-hmm. with not having others to validate what I think, you know, to get their uh permission to be the same and not different. And before I went in, as a teenager, teenagers seek validation from their parents, right. from their friends, right. and that's where we end up in peer pressure because we want to do this to seek validation of what we're doing is right and to be liked and um, comfortable around our peers. But that situation right. kind of helped me, being alone kind of helped me uh, to not seek out that and be comfortable with who I am and get to know Desiree. It was, like, amazing to me a little bit because we, at that age, we know everything about our friends, but we really don't know about ourselves. And sure. so I had to know, learn myself, what I like, what I didn't like, what I can handle. And I, I surprised myself that I was able to handle that, but I am grateful that, you know, God kept me and, my family was there to keep my sanity, right? You know, Perfect. yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How long were you in there? Oh wow, <laughs> I was one hundred and thirty-five years is a long time. <laughs> a long time, and oh I God. tell teenagers all the time: if you can imagine being seventeen years old, I'll be one hundred and fifty-two uh, by the time yes. I would have gotten out of there. So it was really. Um, grateful wow. that my prayers were answered um, just so your listeners will know and get a kind of idea of the time that I was facing um, when I was arrested and charged for 11 counts of armed robbery and 5 counts of aggravated assault and in the state of Georgia the minimum for one armed robbery is 10 years that's the minimum amount of time and wow. the minimum for aggravated assault is 5 years and so I had 11 counts, five counts of aggravated assault, which at the minimum, Melissa, 135 years. But when I went in front of the judge, and even though I had the good grades, I had a whole church in the courtroom, okay, you know, yeah. <laughs> we were <laughs> praying and everything, like, please. A united you know. front, yeah. <laughs> okay, yes, <laughs> and this was my first time ever getting in trouble, in ever, trouble. I never been in juvenile or anything. So it was a real scary situation, but I'm glad she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, and she said, hey, look, I can't give you the First Defenders Act. I can't just give you probation because you knew what you were doing the first, the second, the 11th time. And when I talk to kids, I tell them, hey, look, you might not, you, you might think you might not get caught. I mean, I thought I wasn't going to get caught, but I didn't get caught the first time. I didn't get caught the second time. I didn't get caught until 11th time, but you will get caught. And as I was right. standing there, she put it all together, and she said, I'm going to sentence you to 10 years to serve four, which some people would say you still had to go to prison. Yes, I knew what I did, and I had to be punished for that. I understand that. But that was way better than 135 years in prison. So exactly. to answer your question, I spent four years in prison, um, six years on probation, and I recently got off probation in 2012. Um, so it was a long, long time. Wow, uh, that's for right. Me. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's a long. Well, it's, it's not a long. It could have been longer, actually. <laughs> that just yeah, could but, have been longer. 
But, you know, yeah. just, do you, you know, oh, my gosh, this is, you don't even understand. I don't even know if I can articulate what I'm feeling right now because, you know, even though, I, I, you know, God is so amazing. Like, that's, it seemed like it's a it was a really bad thing. I mean, it was. not. I'm not saying it wasn't. But mm-hmm. just, you know, our purpose, I, I follow you. And I remember seeing something where you said, um, the thing that we want to hide, basically, or I guess we're ashamed of, or we want to keep a secret, you know, mm-hmm. our skeletons, per se, that's what I got out of what you were saying. You know, the mm-hmm. thing that we want to keep hidden, um, our shame, is the very thing that pushes us into our purpose. And even though, you know, um, you had to go to jail, it's a consequence. Everything has a consequence. This is, we can't really avoid consequences. So your consequence was present, but at the same time, it's such an amazing story because you are affecting a lot of people. Like your life is a grand example of what you've been through, and you're not hurt. You are beautiful. You are strong. You are phenomenal. Like it's amazing to me how God can do something with that that looks so I mean, like, it's going to be the end of the world. <laughs> like, there's no hope. You know what I mean? Like, there's no hope. There's no light. There's It's just so dim. So dim. Yes. And, I, and I totally make it so beautiful. Like, it's amazing. And that's the oh amazing God. part of, that's the amazing part of going through. When I hear from others like yourself say that to me, sometimes it's kind of surreal because, uh, I'm like, girl, Melissa, if you knew what I <laughs> went through, you know. And But at the same time, when I hear from people, from teenagers, from parents, from mm-hmm. others who might not experience the same magnitude of darkness or dimness, but it's very parallel. It just might be a mm-hmm. different scenario, but it's very parallel in regards to the feelings of this dark place. It makes everything that I went through worth it. Well, it makes, when I hear that, it was worth it, all those crying nights and, you know, it was worth it of, you know, being sad and being alone. It was worth going through that in order to be able to not just be else. this light for somebody else, but show them how I yeah, overcame that exactly. and then to see the fruit of them overcoming that. I said, you know what, if I had to go through this, to prevent this teenager from going to prison and going through the same thing, to change her mind or change his mind about his peers and what he's doing. If I had to go through this to prevent, to catapult somebody and push them into the purpose and do what God told them to do, then it was worth it. But the amazing part of it is, of the story, of my story, is I want everybody to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But if you decide to stop going through this tunnel, you're going to stay there in that darkness. You have to keep walking towards that light. And when you start at the beginning of the tunnel, that light is this little dot. But as you keep walking through this dark tunnel, that little dot gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually you'll come out. But once you come out of the light, I want to encourage people, once they come out through the light, to go back and pull other people out of that darkness. You you might come out of the cave, but there's still people that are just sitting there. 
And they don't realize that if they just walk two more steps, they too can see the light. And that's what my story is. Like, yes, it is messy. Yes, it does seem impossible. Yes, it does seem that way. And you have every right to, to feel the way you do. But don't just stay there. I have this saying that I tell people all the time. You know, we're we're seeds. You know, the devil thought he buried me, but he forgot that I was a seed. And seeds grow. And the thing yes. with that is, is that God buries things that are dead. When people die or when an animal dies or even a plant dies, you bury it under the ground when it's dead. It has to be already dead and you bury it. But the thing is that God plants things that grow. Now, they're in the same soil. So you bury things that die and you plant things to grow. What am I saying about this? Well, the tiny seed knew that in order to grow, it had to be dropped in dirt. It had to be covered in darkness. And the seed had to struggle to reach the light, struggle to reach the light. But you will reach the light and you will prosper. And then eventually it will turn into this big tree and you'll reap your harvest and your fruit. Do not give up. You can't. You just can't. You can't because there's somebody depending on your faith. Like you said, Melissa, that's where your story is this, that, you know, phenomenal on this. Okay, yeah, Yeah. you're right, Melissa, but what if I would have stopped? What if? Oh, my. What if I would have given up? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Would you have got your fruit? Would this person have got their seed? Would this person have got their inspiration? Would this person be awakened and say, oh, I can do it? I think I was at the lowest. There's people that go through stuff, but being a convicted felon, the society looks at it like you're at your lowest. You're a convicted felon. You're condemned as bad. You're not going to go nowhere. You can't get a job. You can't do this. You can't get an apartment because they do background checks. You can't get any licenses to do hair because they do background checks. There's so many limitations stacked upon me. And I think when God pulled me out of that, regardless of what your limitations are, I was at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the pit. And if God can take the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the pit and bring them up to this part on the top of the pit, then your situation can't be that bad. You know, you can get out of your situation too. Okay, well, I don't have all those limitations, but I can overcome. And that's what I want. It's like I can't change the world, Melissa, but I guarantee you this. I'm going to spark the mind who does. Trust me. <laughs> You're doing it. <laughs> You're doing your part. And that's part one of my questions is, you know, God has a great reputation for taking the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. <laughs> mm-hmm. He has a great <laughs> reputation for doing that. And I, I really believe, like, I really, I don't know. I think that's why everybody have their different purposes. Yours is definitely different from mine, but it's still tied and connected because I, um, deal with a lot of self-esteem, and I deal with a lot of women, deal with a lot of youth um, with low self-esteem, and that's exactly what happens when something happens or their challenges, they feel like overtake them, and they can't see their way. Like you said, with that little flicker of light, it's like if you see that little flicker and you keep going, and I love your analogy of how you say you're going through a tunnel, and if you stop, you'll never get to that light. So I really, really, really love that um, analogy because that's a a great way to explain it to people. But the real thing that I would like to say to you is that all of those things, you're right. When you, because you went through that, you know exactly how to help them through. 
I wouldn't be able to help them through the way you can help them through because you know exactly how it feels. Just like I say to people who have lost someone like their parents, it's, it's a different, you know, we all lose everybody. Or if you lost a child, we all lose, you know what I mean? Like we all have to, we all know that we're born and we're going to die. We all know that we know that death is a part of life. It is mm-hmm. such Oh, it's, it's a different kind of thing when you lose that one, like your rock, your, your all, you know, your security. And when you have mm-hmm. to bury a parent or a spouse or a child, mm-hmm. those three different kind of people, it's a different kind of hurt. And it's very mm-hmm. hard to explain that to someone who never had to go through it. So for you, you, I wouldn't be able to explain that type of pain and, and and seclusion and isolation and just that deep pit of hurt and pain, whatever whatever that was for you, I can't explain that to somebody who's going through that now. You know what I mean? So we have our Absolutely. different ways to help people. And so I, again, it's horrible you had to go through it. But you were made to do that. You were made for mm-hmm. it, you know? Mm-hmm. So you definitely was the one to go through that. Um and I, I really just commend you. And I'm going to keep going because we can stay. We're just on the first question. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get through all our questions today. <laughs> so I want to ask you a couple more before we get off this call. Um, okay. What are some of the risks that you see um, facing teenagers fresh out of high school today? I mean, like from when I was growing up to when you was growing up, it's a little bit different today. So what are the um, challenges that you see for them? Well, you know, uh, statistically, you know, uh, teachers and different officials say, you know, you have to catch them before eighth grade and, um, you know, and you have a fighting chance that they'll come out okay. And my whole thing is it's all of them. But to the parents, what I'm finding out, I talk to a lot of teenagers all, all the time and to see what their hurts or their pains are. The truth of the matter is, this is the truth of what I'm, from my own personal experience at that time, and um, also hearing from the teenagers' experiences now and hearing from teachers and parents, oftentimes because a teenager is 16, 17 years old, a parent already feels that, oh, you should know better. Oh, you should already know. You you should know already. You should know what you should, you know doing. But the truth is, is that the teenagers come to me all the time asking me how, how Desiree, how do I go to college? How do I fill out an application? How do I find myself an apartment? How do I get a good job? How do I do this? But the parents feel as though you should already know. So what happens is, when a parent tells a child that, the truth is they're too embarrassed because of their age to say, I don't know. It's like saying, oh, you don't know your ABCs? You're 16 years old. Right. You should already know that. And they're too embarrassed to say, hey, look, I don't need my ABCs. I need help. So what they will do is they'll go to their friends and ask their friends, well, how did you do that? How did you make money? How did you get a job? And their friends are saying, if, depending on what kind of friends they have around them, hey, you know, I hit licks, I rob people, I sell drugs, I sell myself, I'm a stripper, or I get this, you know, uh, boyfriend with a lot of money, I play guys, and this, that, and the other. Then when the teenager tries that, not saying that's what they pursue to do, but then when they do that, 
and then get in trouble, then the parent says, well, you should know better. I raised you better than that. I never showed you that and this and the other. And now they want to show them the house, but it's a little bit too late. So when when the kids are three and four and they kept asking, why, Mommy, why, Daddy, how this, Mommy, how this, Daddy, we were patient enough as parents to give them instruction. But now that they're teenagers, we just automatically stop as parents on giving them instruction on the hows and the whys and the what because we feel like they should already know. But what's happening is, is that disconnect of what they're facing once they get out of high school is they, re- they really don't have anyone that they feel comfortable enough where they don't feel embarrassed to ask this question and get the right uh, tools or the right resources or the right knowledge or the right wisdom in order to go through life and make good conscious decisions. And that's where the disconnect is. So that's where the problem um, that they're facing. So if any of your listeners are parents and they might be experiencing this or, you know, just to give them some insight of how teenagers think, um, I encourage them to be the parent first. I'm not saying be their friend but I mean, or their best friend and let them do all kinds of crazy stuff. No, be the parent first, but be the friend second. So maybe have a safe word. Uh, me and my daughter's is pink roses, so even though she's only eight years old, um, if she feels like uh, uh, afraid of coming to me about something, she says the safe word to where she feels safe. And when she says this as a parent, I okay, she says the safe word. I need to make sure my child feels safe enough to tell me because my mom was like when I got in trouble, oh, you could have told me anything. You know, we can talk about anything. But I know if I told my mom I'm out here robbing and I don't know how to come back home, what what would have happened, Melissa? So right. I, if I really want to tell her, no, right. I don't. So I'm just going to go all the way out and kind of hide, try to hide it as much as I can. And that's where the healing comes in. It's the communication and the listening. Communication is not always about talking. It's also about listening and to give advice from the teen's point of view and for them to receive it from a parent's point of view. Um and that will heal. So those are some of the things that they're they're facing right now, and that's, that results into bad decision-making uh, once they get out because it's like now I graduate from um, high school, what do I do? And the parent's like, oh, you're off to college and go, you know, make, you know, get a good education and I'll send you money. But then when they're faced with I ran out of money, I got this ticket for a parking thing, um, I don't have any food, and their friends are out here robbing somebody just to get food to get through college or getting credit cards. And then they're right. wondering why they're in so much debt, especially on top of student loans. Nobody sat down and taught them about credit. They just got taught to pay your bill, but they didn't right. tell them the whole thing. So that's the some of the problems that I come across with teenagers is basically the communication and just they want to know how. And if they can't get the how from the parents um, or those who play the parent role in their life, then they're going to go to their friends, and we don't know what kind of friends they might have around them to make bad decisions, or they're going to try it out what they saw on TV or whatnot. So I just encourage your listeners that their parents to listen first, then speak. Be the parent first in front second. Have a safe word and 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 to bring that bridge and bear and that barrier because by the time they're twenty five, thirty years old, they'll be in a good place to buy a home, um, and less struggle and to help tell their friends and to rebuild our communities 
as a whole and as one and be in a better position than we are right now. And I think that's what every parent wants. Every parent wants their kids to go further than them. So those are some of the situations and things that I come across with teenagers uh, once they graduate and some of the questions they come with me to me with and um, um, to have their village around them. We need to get back to the village effect. You know, if they can't go to mom or dad, they can go to auntie, uncle, or the neighbor to where we start caring about other teenagers as they were our own. Now some people just say, hey, that's your child. That ain't my child. As long as it ain't my child. You know? It's a lot to that. That's a whole nother radio interview because (laughs) (laughs) the village is oh, my God, it's so, I hate to use the word perverted, but um, the you know it's mostly latchkey kids where they're coming home because their parents working two and three jobs trying to you mm-hmm. know make a living like you know everything is so expensive they're just trying to make ends meet plus give the kids what they need and a little bit extra because they didn't have it when they were growing up it's just an endless cycle and that's just mm-hmm. another uh, <laughs> conversation and it's you know also like you said people don't want to take responsibility for someone else's kid but everybody's not there to be responsible <laughs> for anybody. Um, Right. So that's right. a whole nother, uh, yeah, we won't even touch that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what lesson um, have you learned that you would tell your 18-year-old self? Oh, wow. That's it's so many lessons <laughs> that I would tell, tell my 18-year-old self. And yeah. when I go speak, I speak to them as if, as if it was, me sitting in the audience, I often think about what could I have told or what could have somebody said to me that would have made me made an alternative decision on that day. And, um, you know, because warning comes before destruction. I really believe that. Yeah. I have my I warnings. Um, I have my warnings. I can't say nobody didn't tell me or I didn't have that. I had it from church leaders and aunts and uncles and my parents, you know, about the company I was keeping. But what could have somebody told me out of all that that would have altered my decision? And I think about it often, and I think it resonates more when it comes from someone who has been there and is struggling because seeing is believing. It's one thing of taking their interpretation from of what prison is or consequences is from a movie or from TV, and all that's fabricated or exaggerated. And I say to myself, take 10 minutes to think, because prison sucks. Just take 10 minutes to think about where you're at, because prison sucks. And I would have also told myself, Desiree, you are enough. It goes back to the self-esteem that has a lot to do with the decision that I made on that day. You are enough. And you can do it. I think with self-esteem, I think I was tearing myself down or trying to push myself down to fit in with the crowd. And what I was doing was enough to excel. And it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid and to know that you are not alone. At that time, though, I had a 3.8 GPA basketball scholarship. I felt alone because I, I would, if I would have graduated from high, from college, I would have been the first one to do it. 
the first mm-hmm. one to do it out of my own family. And they really couldn't give me advice because nobody really took it to that level. And um, I would have said to myself, you are enough. You know, take 10 minutes to think because prison sucks. And you can do it. It's okay to be afraid, but you are not alone. You are not alone. And you can do it. And you can definitely do it. And that's what I would have told myself. Because I, like I was that. afraid. I thought I was mm-hmm. alone, going through it alone. Um, I tried to belittle myself to fit in with the crowd. You know, my self-esteem wasn't built up, and I didn't know how. And because I never talked to someone who experienced that type of life or went to prison to tell me what they experienced and see them struggle, you know, to de-glamorize prison in my mind, I think I would not have made that decision. If they would have told me about the convicted felon part, and that's what I tell people, uh, these teenagers, about. It's not so much as the prison part experience that I tell them about. I talk to them about the convicted felon part and emphasize on that a little bit more and elaborate on that a little bit more than my experience in prison because teenagers know right from wrong. They know about prison for what they see, but they don't tell about the convicted felon part or the experiences and the struggle once you are released from prison. So we have this facade that I have street cred, I'm in prison, I can get my life back together. But once I was released, I quickly found out that that wasn't true. And if I knew the part or the struggles that I could have potentially faced once you, after you dealt with the consequences, you couldn't get me to steal nothing because that not only are your opportunities lost, but there's a slim chance that you, can even, that you can't even regain those opportunities. So you do the cause and effect and you start weighing out your options. Is it really worth to take this big risk to be liked by others? And, Counting um, the cost. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and making it real, uh, real life, and that's what I would have told myself, my eighteen-year-old I think self. that's, I think that's a great, um, great counting the cost because nobody really, honestly, really teaches you that when you're young, or you just think you know it all. I think you know from mm-hmm. listening to you, it's like at that age we think we know it all, and like you said, no one has ever. Um, gotten that far or going in the direction you were headed. So mm-hmm. my question to you is, like, uh, do you think that was kind of you rebelling and, and kind of haughty kind of in a way, arrogant in a way that uh, because your family or those people that you, you looked up to never been where you was going, so they wasn't qualified per se to kind of tell you anything? You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that's where the it's still that link or that, that gap even in this generation and these teenagers today, no one's telling them how to count the cost or teaching them how to count the cost. Like you said about the credit cards, I remember that too. That's how I got into credit debt at 19 mm-hmm. years old in college. I, I never was taught. You know, I always thought, oh, yeah, credit, yeah, give it here. Let's yeah. me up, you know. No yeah. one never <laughs> explained to me. And that's because my parents, I mean, not saying they were bad parents, they just didn't know no better either. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, and one of the things for me, for myself, I've never or I've I've not ever allowed myself 
to um, be at a disadvantage because of the lack of wisdom that my parents wasn't able to share with me because they lacked it. You know what I'm saying? I'm so mm-hmm. so into finding out the information mm-hmm. for myself, and I I think that's where, for the most part, these younger the younger generation lack because they are given so much that they think they're owed it. I think yes. that's part of the problem. Um, yes. Yeah. So. I I agree with you. I agree with you, Melissa. But at the same time, I don't. I think if we had a, a sense of um, to work for it. See, for me, mm-hmm. it was get good grades and you got it. And yeah, I worked for it. Everything that I was, I, I got, you know, car, so you know, cell phone, mm-hmm. everything. <laughs> but all I had to do was get good grades, you know, and. Um, for some people, that's not an easy task to do. But for me, you know, oh, get good grades, I can get some money. Oh, okay, great, hundred dollars every day. Okay, no problem. You know, and um, <laughs> you know, I I absolutely agree with that. Well, did, to answer your question, did I think I knew it all? Yeah, of course. I was seventeen. I'm almost eighteen. I'm grown. You know, mm-hmm. I'm grown. You know, a lot of people. A lot of teenagers go through that phase, too, and that's because we kind of put that responsibility on our kids. Again, we already think they know. So, therefore, you put that confidence on us that we think we know it all. And some of the things we don't know, um, um, we go out there thinking we know, and nobody's told us the house. So what are some things that we can do for some of your audience that we can do to eliminate that for the next generation, you know, our younger kids at at elementary school. Let's start early because with my daughter, just to give some examples, I said, you know what? Nobody taught me about credit, so I'm going to teach my daughter about credit. Nobody taught me about entrepreneurship. Schools, I really believe, teach you how to be a consumer, and they don't teach you how to be uh, an entrepreneur. I'm not saying that everybody has to own a business, but, you know, hey, look, I have a job. Let me sell some hair, hair bows. Um, or whatnot while I'm in school, you know, let me sell something, you know, that's legal. I tell teenagers all the time, if you're selling drugs, you're, if you're selling drugs, you're really an entrepreneur. entrepreneur. Just put a different product in your hand. You know what I mean? Exactly. Walmart Make has to find a corner, just like, you know, any person who's doing something illegal has to find a corner. And, you know, it's the same thing. So what do I do? My daughter is eight years old. She's already a published author, children's book, wow. Super Nevea. Wow. And it's only uh, 20 pages, um, but I taught her every day after school, she did a page. So she worked, she had an idea, Mommy, I want to write a book. Okay, one day at a time, one day at a time. So she went through that progress um, of writing her own book. When she got it in the mail, she should have seen how excited she was because it was an idea and now it's tangible. So to let her know... Why does God say childlike faith? You know, to let her know that whatever she wants to do, whatever she puts her mind to it, she can have, she can be, but to show her the work process. You know, one day at a time you get closer. Okay, she has her own bank account, okay? So when we go get her books, I teach her about, okay, you get three books, you know, you sell these books, you subtract it, profit and loss. She does it herself now. And then you take a piece of that, put it in your bank, take her to the bank, she puts it in there, and we're going to take this piece and you're going to buy six books now. And then when you get this, so now she has kind of like an idea. Not that she doesn't understand it all the way thoroughly 
I must submit. But at the same time, she has an idea to go forward with that. Um, So if we can teach them about economics and money and the fundamentals on a small scale, okay, you have $5 for cleaning up your room, you want this toy. Okay, now is the toy more important than getting you a pair of socks or something like that? And just kind of teach them on a lower scale because when they're teenagers, then they'll know how, and then we'll kind of eliminate that problem. Mm-hmm. So, um, how to prioritize? What, awesome. Absolutely, absolutely. And time mm-hmm. management, right? Time management, and we can do that with homework. Okay, you want to go to the pool, but you have to do this first. And sometimes I let her play and stuff like that. And then when the homework is is due, she's looking at me to help her. I'm so I'm sorry. You know, you had all this time, and it kind of teaches them like that in a younger scale because um, they kind of get it. But I think that's where the what we can do, I'm not saying I do understand parents work two jobs, a single family home. Right. I, I do understand that. I get that. I understand teachers are under a lot of pressure because they can't teach ahead of the curriculum. Right. They have to have so many people graduate. So it's like a, a whole big balance thing. You know, the parents tired, but they have to work to keep the lights on. You know, right. it's, it's a right. lot. But if we can just right. do just a little bit, right? just, just and, a little bit. Again, I don't even want to get into it because, like I said, that's another <laughs> another oh, yeah. But I mean, you you know, you you gave birth to these kids, so I understand you tired. I understand, you know, <laughs> you know, I understand all of that. But you know, you have to put the work in too with your children. Like we, but I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go yeah. there. Yeah, right. absolutely. Last we question because we, we're past school. our time. Say it again. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, no problem. And just say, you know, if we just do a tiny bit a day, then we eventually will get there. That's all. We will. We will. Mm-hmm. And we just have to start and be consistent, you know? Yes. Like we can't yes. start and keep falling off and start and falling off. You know, just be consistent. Mm-hmm. We can. You're right. So last question because, you know, I'm past the time I told you I would be here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and I want to, you know, I, I'm really enjoying our conversation. There's so much that we can talk about. But the last one, last thing that I really want them to know is, what was the inspiration for your second book, Pass the Mustard Seed? Oh wow! Oh wow! It came from my dark place experience, um, mm-hmm. and and just briefly, um, after six years after being released from prison and trying so hard to break through this barrier of impossible and not seeing any options left, you know, and I was, like, right there at the light of the tunnel. I wanted to commit suicide. I had my plan. I had the the pills. I had the letter. I had everything planned out. Enough is enough. I was just tired of tired of just being tired, Melissa. I was just tired of going through, going through, you know, and going through this tunnel, like how much do I have to endure in order to get to just a job, just to get my feet, you know, in the water until I ran into the lady with the mustard seed. And what she did for me that day was she didn't give me a pity party. She didn't give me any money. She didn't give me a job. She gave me some mustard seeds. And I'm like, okay, well, what I'm going through, and I get mustard seeds, do you not understand what I'm going through right now? And what she was saying for me was the symbolism behind that, what it says in the Bible is if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could speak to this mountain and it'll move here from there, 
And at the end of the scripture, where we tend to forget is nothing is impossible. So what she's saying is not to literally look at a mountain and say, move from over here to over there. I think sometimes our problems stack up so high, Melissa, that they become our mountains. I think of some of the decisions that we make and we get ourselves so deep in those situations that they be stacked so high they become impossible. But if we can just open up our mouth and speak to the mountains, they will move. So what I realize is that it's not your... It's not your it's your faith that moves mountains, not your hands, because we do the best we can. For six years, I've used my hands to move the mountain. But it wasn't until I started speaking into my life every morning that I began to see the mountains move. And once I realized that all I had to use was my voice, then they actually moved. What do I mean by that? I've spoken to my life. I forgive myself for everything that I've endured. I am more than a conqueror. I have the power to create my own wealth. I am, I can, I will, I am. You know, I walk in love, I speak in love. Everything I do is in love. Everything I touch turns into prophetic gold. And these are the affirmations I said every single day when I wasn't a speaker. So then all of a sudden the mountains move and the doors open for me. So what happened behind all that was I started speaking and started sharing my story and telling the how. How did I get out of that? Yeah, I spoke, but I had to imagine, create, and become. I had to imagine so intensely where I was, where I wanted to be and not where I was then, and my imagination created my reality. And what I did was did the best I could with what I have. When I started speaking those things into existence and started speaking my affirmations every morning, I realized that I oh, my resources were right in front of me the whole entire time I was depressed. The whole entire time I thought it was so dark because I always had a computer, Melissa. I always had Internet, mm-hmm. Melissa. I always knew how to read. I always knew how to write. I always could have could have wrote my book a long time ago. I became a public speaker and an author. And my eyes changed from what I see to being half empty to now half full. And then eventually what I said I was, I became. Like Muhammad mm. Ali says, I knew I was great before I was. And so he used to always walk around saying, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. And you guys are going to believe that I'm the greatest. And then guess what? They saw that he was the greatest, and he became the greatest before he even was when he was in that training room, before he got to that point in that transition. So those are the three things that I did. So what people say is, well, Desiree, when you go to speak, if you just reach one person, Desiree, then you did a good job. And I said to myself, who goes to places with their goal trying to reach just one person? I go try to reach the whole audience. I'm not happy with just reaching one purpose. So, But I am a realist. Not everybody can relate to my story. Just like you said, hey, look, Desiree, I went through this. They might not be able to relate to me because I could speak from somebody else's experience. So what I did was, you know what, Lord, how can I reach everyone and they could still get their mustard seed and overcome their darkest moments in their life and know that they're not going through by themselves. And that's where passive mustard seed comes from and where people can relate to other authors to get their hope, their inspiration to ignite them to overcome and to push them into their purpose and passion. When I went back to Stacy, the lady who gave me the mustard seed, thank you for pouring into me when, when, and believing in me when I couldn't believe in myself. She said, you know wow. what, Desiree, let me tell you the truth. When I was going through a really bad divorce, Desiree, and I felt like I had no more options left, 
a lady gave me some mustard seeds and told me the exact same thing I told you. I said, wow, what that lady didn't know when she passed it to Stacy is that my life, because on that day I was going to kill myself, Melissa, that night it was planned. She didn't know that I was depending on her to make it through in order to give me my mustard seeds. And what Stacy didn't know, these are strangers now, that I was depending on her to make it through to give me my mustard seed. So I encourage your listeners, regardless of how much you want to go give up and how much you want, you can't make it any further, regardless of how dark the tunnel is, that you cannot give up because there is someone out there depending on you to make it through. Now, how does Stacy feel now to see her harvest? Right. What people are seeing is the harvest from that one Mustard seed, and she told me to believe just one more time, Desiree, just believe one more time to where I'm able wow. to go on. You're discussing it with Melissa to reach mm-hmm. out many other listeners to give them their seed that let them know that they can make it through if they believe just one more time. Speak to your 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 mountains. They'll move. Imagine, create, become. Now, what if I would have given up? What if I would have killed myself? Mm-hmm. How many other lives? would have been at stake, not just mine. You can't be selfish when you're going through, not just me. And I want to encourage you, you can't give up. You just can't even when you want to because there's somebody depending on your faith. And that's what inspired Pastor Mustard Seed because it's my goal to reach as many people as possible that God attends me, whoever has the ear, to hear to my voice, to let them know that they are not alone, they can't give up because somebody's depending on their faith, to always remember it's not your hands that move mountains. It's your faith that moves mountains and not your hands. And nothing is impossible. And if I can overcome, they too. How do I know that you can overcome? How do I? How can I say all this with so much conviction, Melissa? Because God has taken me from an inmate to inspiration. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what a wonderful way to end this. I want to leave it right there, Desiree. Um, I just want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing your incredible story. I just want to say that, you know, I admire your strength and your courage in giving your testimony because your testimony is not an easy one at all. <laughs> and it takes it takes great courage um, and strength. It really do. I mean, I know that it takes courage and strength. Um, and I also want to say, you know, we admire your determination and your passion and heart to do what you you can to make the changes in our society, you know, through transforming the minds of our youth because that's your that's part. That's not all of you, but that's part of your mission. Um your nationwide campaign to prevent teenagers from um incarceration. That's a huge deal. And you yes. do such an awesome job and I just really want to thank you for not giving up and being in a place that you're supposed to be, you know, to talk to the listeners. Some, you're right. It's not just one person. It's a lot of people that's going to hear this, and they're going to receive that mustard seed. They're going to listen. They're going to, too, pass down the mustard seed because Absolutely. they were able to make it through because of you. And I just want to really thank you for that and understanding your purpose and absolutely answering a call to fulfill it. So thank you so very much. I wish you Thank well you. on all. You're so welcome. I wish you well on all of your personal and professional endeavors. And I just want to say, you know, may God stand between you and all harm that comes your way. 
Okay. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. And I just want to say thank you guys for listening. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys, and I want you to tune in to Discussing It with Melissa every second and last Tuesday of every month at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, you know, if you missed the broadcast, you can always listen to it again at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash this needs to be said. And then for more information about me, uh, Melissa Magazine, please visit www.melissamagazine.com, and that is M-E-L-I-S-S-A-M-A-G-A-Z-I-N-E. Also, don't miss the post. Uh, to join my mailing list, you can join by texting Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, to 66866. My mission is helping you find your way back to you. Each of us have a unique purpose and vision, and my obsession is helping you to find yours. So until next time. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is your Daily Dose of Weird News. The creator of the pink plastic lawn flamingo has died. Donald Featherstone died last Monday at an elder care facility in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, after a long battle with dementia. He was 79. Is it any surprise, though, that somebody who decorates their yard with pink plastic flamingos has dementia? A new study finds that poor posture from texting is becoming an epidemic. Also, an alarming number of hunched-over people have been walking blindly into traffic. Apple started removing a ton of apps and games featuring Confederate flags from its App Store on Thursday. Apple says it has removed apps from the App Store that use the Confederate flag in offensive or mean-spirited ways, which is in violation of their guidelines. They're not removing, however, apps that display the Confederate flag for educational or historical uses. Meanwhile, reruns of Dukes of Hazard continue to be aired without issue. In Kentucky, a drunk man drove himself to the police station and told the cops that he needed to be arrested for drunk driving. Oh, yeah, and uh, you guys might want to have me audited, too. Fox News has fired Sarah Palin for the second time in three years. The network last Wednesday confirmed that it had elected not to renew the former Alaska governor's contract, which ran out on June 1st. Wow! How wacky must you be that even Fox News finds you too wacky? While we're at the Palin household, Bristol Palin says she's pregnant again. Seven years after her first unwed pregnancy, Sarah Palin's daughter has announced via her blog that she's expecting again. And she's husbandless again. A White House reception for LGBT Pride Month was interrupted on Wednesday when a woman started shouting about President Obama's immigration policies. The president responded by saying, you're in my house, and he added, as a general rule, I'm just fine with a few hecklers, but not when I am up in the house. Yikes, you know, somebody really needs to grab the reins and keep Hillary under control. Wow. Charlie Sheen went on a rant against ex-wife Denise Richards on Twitter last week, slamming her as the worst mom alive and an evil terrorist sack of landfill trash. Hey, good news, everybody. Charlie Sheen is back to his old normal self. That's your daily dose of weird news. 
I'm Darren Marlar. Get more weird news at DailyDoseOfWeirdNews.com.
thank you for joining us today. We hope you've gained something from what has been shared. Special thanks to the creators of the TNTBS jingle. It was written by Lamont Champ Josie and composed by Robert Jenkins. Thank you to everyone who supports us by downloading the phone app at thisneedstobesaid.com, by commenting on the TNTBS talk show fan page on Facebook, by retweeting us on Twitter at TNTBS, by also sharing this show with your friends. Thank you for logging in through your computer, as well as calling in to listen on the phone lines. Now go out and tell more people about this great show. If you thought the show sucked, tell them anyway. Bad news travels fast is what I'm told. Either way, tell them to tune in each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're always looking for new guest commentators, awesome topics, and most of all, we want your opinion. Visit us at www.thisneedstobesaid.com. We'd love to hear from you. There's an elephant in the room. You were thinking it, so we're going to talk about it. Until we meet again in the same place at the same time, have a super day.